beginning at verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my favor, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will be blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts, and he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. And he has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Thank you. We've been uh, seeing that the Christmas story is full of surprises. <clears throat> and we've been kind of identifying or seeking to identify with some of those surprises that the word reveals. You never know when a surprise might come to your life. Hello. Yeah. Yes. 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 No. Okay. Really? You're not kidding. Oh, this is amazing. Okay, this is so awesome. Really? Okay, now this is for real. You're not kidding me? Because if you're kidding me, I'm totally believing it. Okay, so it's real. This is such a surprise. I know. This is amazing. This is fantastic. Okay. Uh, wait, wait. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. Okay, so today, and me, for real, yeah, you can't totally count me up, this like so. <clears throat> I gotta go, yeah, I'll see you too. Okay, yeah, I know, I know, totally, yeah, air high five, yeah, okay, all right, see you then, okay, bye. Well, Carol, are you gonna share with us? Oh, it was nothing. <laughs> if you were to read straight through the text in Luke's Gospel, recording the Christmas story, 
here are the kind of words and phrases that we've already encountered or will encounter as we go along the story. But phrases like startled or gripped with fear or filled with awe or revealed or terrified or greatly troubled. We shouldn't be surprised that people were so surprised. After all, Christmas is about God's work and working of surprises in our lives and doing so in the most incredible ways and in the most incredible way through a human baby. Not what they were expecting 2,000 years ago. And frankly, it's really not what we expect today. We'd have probably written the Christmas story much differently Last week, Mary inspired us all to say yes. She inspired us to say yes to God. And when God asks us to do something, whether by an angel or by his word or by the Spirit's promptings, that we need to respond as Mary did. Here am I, a servant of the Lord. But the surprises aren't over. Are you ready for another surprise? Well, we should close right now then. Are you people expectant at all that there could be something that would surprise you? We continue our look at the story of Christmas. You've got outlines if that's helpful for you to kind of follow along. Let's pray. God, as we open your word this morning, may you speak to our hearts, teaching us to follow you more closely in our day-to-day lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. My daughter, uh, we call her DJ, she was approximately second grade, I'm guessing, uh, when this incident happened. She came home from school, and I asked her, like I always did, well, how'd it go? How was your day? And usually, DJ was kind of a chatty Kathy and would just keep talking and talking and talking. This time here, a rather cryptic response, saying, well, okay. I said, really? She says, I need some adult companionship. And I thought, I'm qualified. I'm an adult. I can help you. She says, no, I need an adult female to talk with me. And I think that Mary in our text would get DJ's request. I think Mary needed some female adult companionship as well. And so it had just been announced to her, surprise, surprise. Your life is about to be drastically changed from anything you're formerly acquainted with. And so Mary dials up AAA to order a triptych to go to the hill country outside of Jerusalem. She packed her bags, leaves town. Where to? To Zachariah and Elizabeth's house. We talked about them two weeks ago. We don't know much about Elizabeth, however. We know that she was Zachariah's wife. We know that she was a relative of Mary's, perhaps a cousin or an aunt. We don't know for sure. But apparently, Mary felt quite comfortable spending time with her, so she probably thought Liz might understand what she was going through in this announcement that had been made of her pending pregnancy. And so she goes and heads out on this journey, probably approximately a three-day journey to go the 75 miles from up and north of Galilee down to southeast uh, of Jerusalem. And she makes the journey. I want you to think about this for just a moment. I don't know how familiar you are with the story, but it occurred to me as I was thinking through these two women of our account this morning and of their circumstances, the 
uh, incredible parallels that there are in their lives. Um, first of all, you've got the older woman, Elizabeth, whose reproductive organs probably have atrophied with time. She's uh, suddenly and miraculously quickened and now pregnant with a child uh, several months along. You've got a young woman, a virgin, who's never made love to a man and is suddenly and miraculously pregnant inexplicably. You've got both women miraculously touched by God. You've got both children who had a special call, a special touch of God, who had a special task and uh, assignment to fulfill for God. You also, in verse 40, have Mary, now with this older woman, this adult female, to talk with, to be with, and to spend some time with. And Mary enters into Zechariah and Elizabeth's house and calls out, Elizabeth, Elizabeth! Elizabeth responds to her greeting. And as soon as Liz hears Mary's greeting, the six-month-year-old fetus, John, leaps in his mother's womb. And note that she experiences God's touch immediately and is filled with his Holy Spirit. It's an argument for the right to life right there. And in verse 42, she breaks into a poem of praise. And Mary is so overcome by the experience that she responds in a poem of her own praise. And thank you to Luke, the author of this gospel, for capturing these two poems of worship and praise to our Almighty God. And so you have the poems recited back and forth. And I can only begin to imagine that Zachariah is just sitting there speechlessly. See, weren't you guys here two weeks ago? A little earlier in first chapter, you can read all about it, but Zechariah is mute at this point because his lack of belief that God could do this miracle and the women, on the other hand, trusting in God's miraculous power and working. And so the question for us today is, what does this encounter of these two miraculously pregnant women have to do with us today? What does it have to do with me today? where I'm at, where I live my life. How could John's prenatal encounter with the embryonic Jesus possibly speak to us today? And I want to share three thoughts that I think will help us. First, and it's Roman numeral number two on your outline, our surprise encounters with Jesus can deepen even the most mature of faith. Can deepen the most mature of our faith wherever we're at in our pilgrimage and walk with God. When we read in verse 41 that John leapt in his mother's womb, what, what, what was the specific result in Liz's life? What happened to her? Basically, the Holy Spirit came into her, enlivened her for what she was to face during this pregnancy and in her future. And Luke, he's all over this Holy Spirit thing. He's often called the Holy Spirit Gospel. And even in his second book that he authored, the book of Acts, he records the incident of Pentecost and how important that was to the early church, the disciples, the apostles, and future disciples of Christ and their witness. And Elizabeth had more than a, a physical response, although I've been told by women that any physical response of the baby inside the womb is plenty enough. But certainly, it was also a deeply emotional and moving moment for Mary. 
Here she is, swept with emotion uh, over her miraculous story, and now hearing Mary's miraculous story. But according to the text, it was an even far more profound spiritual experience for Elizabeth. She was filled with the Holy Spirit, and under that anointing, she began to prophesy over Mary and over her unborn Lord that Mary was carrying. Recall in verse 6, Elizabeth is described as an upright, as an obedient woman, following the Lord, seeking to serve the Lord faithfully. Yet even this mature, godly woman was taken to a deeper experience as a result of her surprise pregnancy, her surprise encounter with Jesus, the Messiah. Can I share one of the most difficult things for a pastor? And Steve confirmed it this morning when he was here for first service. It's trying to convince people who are mature saints that they might be able to go deeper still in their relationship with God, that God might be able to surprise them to do something miraculous and how it is that they live out their lives. Uh, Bill Gothard used to teach basic youth conflicts a number of years ago. And he had a little saying that he would always share with us. And that is, please be patient. God isn't finished with me yet. Do you believe that? God isn't finished with you yet? Should I be patient to see what God's going to do miraculously in your lives? Some of you have experienced that this past year. Miraculous healing. Miraculous answers to God's prayer, miraculously provided with a job and a livelihood, various miracles. And, and it's so hard sometimes to convince these mature people of faith, men and women of faith, that the Holy Spirit wants to fill them to do something even deeper, even something more challenging perhaps, but that God will be there with us. And somehow in our maturity, we get kind of stoic and stuffy and stodgy and a little bit snobby. And in fact, we are often repulsed and recoil if we see the Holy Spirit doing things that frankly seem a little bit kind of crazy to us. God forbid that we should raise our hands above our waistlines and maybe even above our shoulders and praise God. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it says to be filled with God's Holy Spirit. Be filled with God's Holy Spirit. And in the Greek, it's in the uh, uh, aorist uh, uh, perfect tense, which signifies continuing action. So literally, it would say something more like be filled and continuing to be filled or continually be filled with God's Holy Spirit. That's an activity that once the Spirit comes in and indwells us, continues on. It doesn't stop with that event. Now, I don't want to become so set in my ways that I can't allow God's Holy Spirit to surprise me with something new, with something different. Do you? You know? The question, will you invite God's Holy Spirit to surprise you? To surprise you? Liz was taken to a deeper experience of God. The second thought that I've got is Roman numeral number three. Our surprise encounters with Jesus convict that which is best within us. They convict that which is best in us. John the Baptist was one of the best, most godly humans to ever have walked the planet Earth aside from Christ. And few lived a more pleasing life to God. Few lived more morally than John did. 
You want to know how I know that? Because Jesus said so in Luke chapter 7, verse 28. Jesus said, I tell you, no one is greater than John. Quite a testimonial. That'd look good on your resume, wouldn't it? Elizabeth asks a similar question to Mary's that we talked about last week in verse 43. Why am I so favored? Basically, why me, Lord? What could you possibly do with me? Hear the words of uncertainty on her lips. Why me? And even though she's carrying a miraculously created baby, infant, in her body, even though she is upright and blameless in her walk with her Lord, her surprise encounter with Jesus convicted her of that which was best in her life that she could give back to the Lord. And it's the response every one of us must make and must have when we first encounter Christ and re-encounter him throughout our lives. You see, we encounter his holiness. We encounter his goodness. We encounter his perfection, his righteousness. We encounter his love, his light. Even the best in us is found lacking, is found inadequate, it's found ordinary. I want to share a little bit more about my two children. My daughter's the older by two years. And when my kids were quite small, preschool age, uh, DJ had gotten a piece of paper and some crayons and so on, was going to draw a self-portrait of herself. And so began drawing. And my son, Doug, thought that he would do the same thing. Doug's was basically a stick figure with a little circle where the legs joined the body, and he says, that's my bottom. And when Doug was finished at his drawing, he looked over at Dawn's drawing and tears began to come on his eyelids. That's the most tragic thing, to see a little child with those tears welling up from their eyes. And with those tears welling up, he crumpled up his picture and he threw it in the wastebasket. And he says, I can't. It's no good. I'm no good. And he wanted to storm off. His efforts were feeble compared to his older sister and her skills of drawing. And he was embarrassed. And he felt inadequate. And folks, that is the only appropriate response when we encounter the living God. Embarrassment, conviction. We don't quite measure up. We feel inadequate on our own. We have little seemingly to offer to our God especially in our own merit. We need a Savior. And we must realize that we need a Savior and that we can't do it on our own. And that's what uh, Christmas is all about. The one who came to save us because we aren't good enough on our own. We desperately are in need of a Savior. And this, folks, is good news. It's the good news that God sent in the form of a baby 2,000 years ago. Which leads me to my third thought. Our surprise encounters with Jesus also animate that which is best within us. It animates, it brings to life that which is in us. They not only convict that which is the best in us, they also animate that which is best. And what I am getting at here is, I want you to consider the text. It's such a wonderful story. 
little John the Baptist, still in his mother's womb, three months until his earthly appearance and debut, and he hears the voice of his Messiah's uh, mom giving a greeting and gets so excited that he dances this jig in his mother's womb. And, And somehow his little spirit knew who had come visiting. And just that proximity to his Lord evoked joy, joy that bubbled over, joy that required excitement. It required animation. And our surprise encounter with Jesus animate the very best in us. And so does that contradict my previous point? My previous point was if we hold up our very best as a way of impressing our Lord, of how worthy we are, how righteous we are, how much we deserve this, we'll fail. But thought number three says that if we bring our very best as an offering to our Lord and invite Him to take it, to use it, to enhance it, to enrich it, to revitalize it, to animate it, to give it life, kind of like the story we may be familiar with of Pinocchio, a little wooden boy that became a living boy. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, the Lord God formed humans from the dust and breathed into them the breath of life. That word breathe there is the word, Hebrew word ruach. And ruach literally means breath or spirit or, or um, could mean animate, to bring to life. Because it wasn't just the frame, the tent that we live in. It was our soul that God was breathing in to make us uniquely each individual creation of the Lord. And that is what led Edwin Hatch to pen the hymn, Breathe on me, breath of God, fill me with life anew, that I may love what you would love and do what you would do. That is what happens in our lives when we draw close to Jesus. He will animate us and make our best better. Back to Don and Doug. After Doug had crumpled up his paper and walked away crying and frustrated, DJ called him back. Come on back, Dougie. And she took a new piece of paper for her and for Doug and gave him half the crayons and her half the crayons. And they laid on the floor there. And then she says, Doug, follow me. I'll show you how to do this. And so she would draw part of the picture, and he would mimic part of the picture. All the time, Don was encouraging him. That a boy, Dougie. Good job, Doug. That's it. Good boy. Good. You're doing it. Oh, that's good. Just like that. Oh, very good. Very good. What a privilege of a dad to get to see this whole thing unfolding. And mind you, the pictures at the conclusion did not look a whole lot different. Pretty much a stick figure of the circle. But Doug was animated. He was brought to life. And he was excited and he showed me and he described to me his picture. And he wanted to find mom to show her the picture. What moments before was embarrassment and inadequacy now was nourished by a big sister's encouragement and was a sense of accomplishment and thanksgiving and gratitude. And folks, that's exactly what happens when we willingly offer ourselves to our Lord. He encourages us. He says, good job, Billy. 
He wants us to do our very best. And so he inspires us. He teaches and admonishes us. He nurtures us. He animates us. Really, you might ask? Yes. Yes, he does. Remember, last week we talked about a verse kind of tucked into this Christmas story in verse 37 of chapter 1. And let me just read the verse for you. It's coming. Are the Seahawks winning? Ah, there it is. Yeah, maybe the Seahawks can win. Because, for nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Let me ask you, do you believe it? Oh, dear. (laughs) Do you believe it? Then I want you to read that verse with me. Okay? For nothing is impossible with God. Okay, one more time now that you've had a practice and got the cobwebs out and so on. For nothing is impossible with God. And if you truly believe that, then the following verse, Mary's response to the Lord in verse 38, is just as pertinent. And on that line, I'll read it through once uh, just so you get a feel for it, but on that blank line, you can insert your own name because this is personal. This is for each and every one of you. It's not just for them. It's for you that this Christmas gift was given. And so if you believe that, uh, repeat after me, and I'll go through it once first, and then we'll have you join me. I, Bill, am the Lord's servant. May it be to Bill as you have said. May it be to me as you have said. Okay, say it with me. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And basically it's saying, God, here I am. Brush away all my doubts of why me. Here I am. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word, for this story that's not just a story to fall asleep by, but it's a story to get life by. It's your gift to us. It's your celebration of us, Lord. And Lord, as we give our tithes and our offerings, we ask your blessing. We ask for you to take these symbols of our sacrifice and our commitment for you and to use them according to your purposes. We pray this in your strong name. Amen.